this sermon series, um, which we're calling Written on Our Hearts. Now, the reason we're calling this Written on Our Hearts is because of Jeremiah 31, 33. And that says, for this is the covenant. This is God talking to the people of Israel, uh, prophesying through uh, Jeremiah, he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is, he's talking about the new covenant, which is what we live within, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And that's the text that we pull from. That's quoted in the New Testament a number of times, but God taking who he is, who his law is, who his nature is, and instead of it just being written on stone commandments uh, with the Ten Commandments that we're trying to observe, instead he changes our hearts, and he writes it in, in the very core of our being. And so what we're talking about in this sermon series is the core things, the core things that define the faith and define us as a, as a church, as a local body. And uh, we're saying God's writing them on. These are the things that God's writing in the life, uh, in, in the heart of Parker Ford Church and in the heart of each of us. And um, accompanying that each week will be a piece of art that will be also written on the walls. Because, uh, you know, uh, when God first gave us the great command, uh, he told us that we're to take those things and we're to write them on the frames of our doors and tie them around our wrists and put them on our heads. And we don't have all that stuff right now. I mean, some of you might be inked up with like scripture verses and stuff. You know, that's that's good, whatever. And you might have stuff hanging on wall words on your in your house where it says uh, you might have scripture pasted on your house or whatever. But we're trying to put some of the words on the on the walls of our sanctuary here. So this is the first piece of art that represents the first sermon today. Um, that uh, This is a local couple who put that together for us. It's someone who Josh uh, just married this year, and they did some uh, design work for us, so it was pretty cool. Um, and that's going to be, you'll see that back on the wall over here, and each week there will be another one that will be, um, you'll see up on the wall. Um, that's part of what's going on this fall. And then um, on September 28th, we have something called Rally Day. Rally Day, maybe you come from a tradition that practiced Rally Day, maybe you didn't. That's kind of the beginning of the church calendar um, for us. Uh, you know, when school gets started and everything, we have this thing called Rally Day, which uh, used to be directly lined up with Promotion Sunday for Sunday school when all the kids bump up and uh, you do teacher commissioning, and we'll still be doing a teacher commissioning coming up um, for the Sunday school teachers. But it's kind of a time when we recenter and refocus on what we're all about. And we kind of start things off and get going. And it used to be at Parker Ford Church, like uh, up till about six years ago, that um, we had guest speakers every year. Until six years, seven years ago, the guest speaker became pastor here. So I was the guest speaker seven years ago at Rally Day. And the next year, I ended up being the pastor here. And Josh and I came. And since then, Josh and I have spoken at Rally Day. And it's become kind of a vision Sunday. But this year, we're, we're having a guest speaker come again. And we're really excited about it. Um, this is Andy Crouch. He is... Um, also a personal mentor of mine and Jay McCumber's. Uh, we meet with him regularly. He lives in media. He's the editor of Christianity Today. He sits as the special counsel for the network, Netzer. And um, he's an author of um, some really cool books. If you want to try to grab a hold of either of them prior to him coming, his first book is on culture making. It's saying that Christian's job isn't just to critique culture or criticize culture, but we're to create culture. 
Christians should be ahead of the curve, creating culture for God. And the second thing, the second book he has is called um, Playing God. And it's about the abuse of power and the proper use of power when it comes to a Christian using the power of God. Um, He'll be here on the 28th. I'm really excited about him coming. Please mark your calendars and make sure you're here on that Sunday. You will not want to miss it. uh, Andy is one of the most gifted um, and blessed uh, thinkers in the Christian world today. He's a very sought-after speaker. You usually have to book him out a few years in advance. Um, the other day, when a couple months ago, when Jay and I were at his house, we, I said, hey, Andy, you want to come to Parker for it anytime? And he said, well, yeah, I'd love to, but it'll be a couple of years till I can get there. And then he emailed me or called me like later that day and said, hey, somebody just canceled September 28th, do you want to come? I'm like, it's rally day. Yes, come. And so he's coming for rally day, which is really cool. We're blessed by that. And uh, so make sure you mark your calendars. The next Sunday is what it's all leading toward, okay? And what we're leading toward is that membership Sunday that I was telling you about. When, um, when we have communion here at Parker Ford, um, we have communion a number, to- a number of times throughout the year, but twice a year we have what we call love feast. And uh, for those of you who uh, hail from the same uh, denominational background as Parker Ford Church has uh, birthed, come, grown up in uh, uh, Church of the Brethren, you may have some familiarity with uh, love feast. Otherwise, you might be saying like, love feast? Really? What's that? You know, I've had people say, like, really, you need to change that word. That's weird. Um, that sounds. Yeah. So anyway, we'll go. Um, the uh, but the love feast is this time where we kind of like reenact the whole Lord's Supper, not just the communion service, but we have like a meal together and there's washing each other's feet, which is like, what? And uh, we, but seriously, we reenact the whole thing. And um but there's a, it's been a very traditional service that has been maintained for years as a part of this congregation. We've been talking for years, a few years, about reinventing that service for one, one of those two times throughout the year and making it like a really family-focused Lord's Supper where we experience it together as a family and kind of refocus it. So we're going to do that on October 5th, the evening of October 5th. We always do that on the evening. So if you've never been a part of Love Feast and want to check it out, great time to jump in. It's going to be fun. We're reinventing kind of the whole thing from ground up. We're going to have the same elements as a part of it. You know, the communion's communion and uh, we're going to, but, and we'll still have a meal, but it'll be a catered meal. Um, it's going to be a really nice meal that you're going to enjoy. Um, we're going to be doing different stuff when it comes to fam- families engaging in some of this together. Different, it's going to be fun. So mar- mark your calendars for those things. The, that morning when we do, um, when we do membership Sunday um, that morning, uh, when we do the, the membership renewal, what I want you to be thinking of from now till then, the reason I'm taking the time out of the sermon to explain all this is because this sermon series is designed to allow all of us, when thinking about um, the 5th, October 5th, saying, is this something that I want to be a part of? Am I, do I want to be a part of this family? And if so, we need to know what the family is actually about. You know, and so that's why we're getting back to basics with with uh, this series written on our hearts. What are the basics of what God is writing on our hearts? What do we believe? Why do we exist? What are we about? You know, what are we called to do? And uh, I think that while we hear that in terms of basics, you might be like, "Ah, it kind of sounds boring. I don't think you'll find it to be boring. I think you'll find that we really need this to kind of focus us and and center us. And what we need to do each week is say, is that where 
what I believe? Is this what I'm aligned with? Is this what I believe God's about? And then when we get to October 5th, we can say on membership renewal, if you're already a member, yep, I I agree with that, and I'm in with that, and I want to be connected to this family. And if you're new, that this is this is a great way of getting to know um, what it's all about, and kind of you know that type of thing. So, any questions? Was I unclear about anything? All right, cool. All right, so we're going to transition at this point into uh, spending the rest of our time, uh, which isn't much, on um, the the first. Uh, first part, which is um, what we believe, the theological threads, okay? Um, so uh, I'm going to have you stand with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 10. Some of the scripture is going to be on the screens today. Some of it will not because I'll be jumping around through some scriptures today, but our main text is going to be on the screen. Um, If you want to, feel free to turn in the scriptures to uh, Hebrews 10, starting with verse 15. All right. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. That was the Jeremiah passage that that Hebrews is quoting here. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as summer, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. What's being talked about in this scripture is awesome because what God's saying is, he said, I told you that I was going to write this on your hearts. And if I'm writing this on your hearts, then what I need you to do is I need you to stay focused on the things that I wrote on your hearts. And I need you to remind each other of that, which is why I'm saying don't give up. Don't neglect meeting together. Keep meeting together all the time. And when you do, find a way to encourage each other with that and keep saying to each other, this is what we're about. These are the confessions. He calls it the confessions. Hold fast to the confession. So the basic truths, the basic things that God tells us about, he tells us to keep figuring out how do we confess these things to one another and, and keep each other encouraged because we've got to stay focused. Anyone in here who has kids, have you ever had that moment where uh, it's like 9, 10 o'clock at night and your kids aren't in bed yet and they start going crazy over something that's like 
they wouldn't normally go crazy over, you know? And there's this like confusing moment as a parent. Ne- this has never happened in our house. Everyone. Um, I just, but I, this is, I was, I've done enough counseling that I've heard that or something. Um, we, there's that confusing moment as a parent where you're sitting there and you know that their attitude is like, what is that? And yet, you know that the real thing is not what we're talking about. That the real thing is they're just tired, right? And so I'm like, I just, we just gotta get them to bed. Like, there's no sense in even trying to like, this is not a training moment. This is a get them to bed moment, right? Because the issue here is yes, they're depraved and sinners and they don't know how to handle being tired. But like, let's not deal with that right now. Let's just get them to bed. And there's plenty of other times where we can choose our battles about this thing. And, um, that happens. The same thing happens in relationships where we're nitpicking or arguing about something that is like ridiculous when actually what's underneath of it is there's like some insecurities that we're dealing with or we're feeling distant from the other person or maybe we're just really tired and exhausted and it's the end of the week and we're cranky or like those Snickers commercials, we need something to eat because we turn into divas, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, and we actually need uh, just the thing that we're, that we're focused on and all up in a tizzy about isn't actually the issue. And so often in the church, what we think is the issue is not the issue. We're all the way out on the perimeter of the faith, haggling over theological things that really don't make a whole lot of difference when it comes to our lives. And we're arguing with our brother and sister in the faith about who knows what. But underneath of it, oftentimes what's the issue is a heart issue. And the heart issue has to do with his laws not being fully written on my heart. That the basic things like the gospel of Jesus is not speaking into the areas of my life where I need it to. Because whether I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, post-millennial, or whatever other theological term that you don't know about that is about the end times, it probably isn't going to have a major effect on the relationship that I have with the person sitting in the cubicle next to me. What does have a major effect on that relationship is whether I believe today that I am set free by the blood of Jesus when he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. That truth has the power to change my life and to change my neighbor's life and to change my family. And most of the time when I'm haggling over stuff that's out here, I really often need to turn back to the central things and entrench deep into saying the most basic things I need to meditate on so they can change me from the core out. I'm not saying that those other things are not unimportant and are not informative. The scripture talks about those things. So it's important that we look at them. But what I'm also saying is that very often we skip, we kind of feel like we're past the basics and we don't have to focus on that anymore. And we real, we, we forget that the power is in the basics, that all the power is in the basics, fundamentals, basics, and we miss it all the time. And we, we forget that it's, it's like when you, um, when you lose your uh, form, if you're golfing and you lose the form of your basics, you can swing the club a lot harder and it's not going to do you any good unless your form is right. And you can get all into all sorts of things about the faith, but if we lose sight of in our heart holding on to the basics, then we're not God dependent anymore. We all of a sudden become man-dependent. We know all sorts of things, or, but we're not depending on God and we're not experiencing the power. And so what we're doing in this series, and particularly what we're doing today, is focusing on, on the basic theological threads. And when you go to our website to look for a doctrinal statement, you will not find much. 
you will find a little statement that says the basic theological threads. And the reason is because there's so much of what we're learning and what we're processing together in the faith. And many people from many different uh, uh, streams within the church who, uh, who believe in the basics have progressively learned and grown and changed their mind about many of the details. But there's a few things that you have to hold on to in order to have a living, dynamic, true relationship with God. And those are the things that we want to make sure that we're agreeing on. And then we want to leave space for people to grow and to learn and discuss all the other things. But there's non-negotiables, and they're the things that we're talking about today. And they're non-negotiables because as soon as you get off of them, then we got off of God. And we don't want to get off of God. You know, we need to stay on God. And so uh, this is, going back over this is like saying, all right, buddy, it's time to go to sleep and we'll talk about this in the morning. Or it's saying like, here's your Snickers bar, chill out, and then we can talk. You know, that's what this is. It's like, let's focus on this stuff and remember the power of these things. and Remember what they're about and agree together. All right, we're in the body together. We can agree about this. And then after that, we can talk about other stuff. That's fine. You know, but we need to agree on this stuff. So um, that's what we're going to be uh, going through. If you um, and, and what happens is, is when we get past that stuff, it says right here, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What's that mean? There's no sacrifice to be given anymore. The sacrifice has already been made. So if I lose sight of Jesus and I start feeling shame or I start feeling pride, there's no, I can't go and make some sacrifice to make that better. It's already been made. The only way to make it better is to go back to the gospel, to go back to the gospel. And so I have to get, I have to go back to it. It says, verse 27, the only thing that will remain is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Have you ever gotten to a place where you felt shame? Even after you've accepted Christ as your savior, you felt like, I just don't like myself or I can't feel good about myself or I'm stuck on this sin and I can't get past it and I don't like, and you're stuck in that place. Well, it's because we lost sight of the gospel. It's not because we, we're not strong enough Christians or we haven't matured enough. We don't get forgiven because we're stronger Christians. We don't get made pure and washed clean because we're good, mature Christians. We get washed clean because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And if I'm feeling inappropriate shame and guilt in my life, it's not because I got to go and make a sacrifice again. It's because I got to get back to the gospel and realize I'm set free. Right? And that's the whole freedom series. That's what it was about, was unleashing the power of that thing, of the, of the gospel. And this is what it's saying, is like, if you want to be readjusted in your mind, then gather together, focus on those basics, and apply it to your life, and you'll find that you'll be set free. So that's what we're going to be, um, that's what we're going to be looking at. And, uh, from there, we're going to jump in, okay? These are the, there is, we're going to go down through these nine things. And, um, and these are not, we believe, we probably agree, most of us in this room, about a whole lot more than just these things. And there may be many other things outside of these that we disagree about. I don't know. But what we hope is that we can agree on these. Because these are biggies, okay? And before I go through them, i got to tell you, someone edited our sign this morning, and I have no idea how we missed it. But there is a word, one of our phrases is not on this sign, okay? Um, and it's misspelled on my PowerPoint too, so it's, I, I don't know what happened, but you can be, um, you can be Inspector Gadget and figure it out, um, uh, be Sherlock and figure out which one's missing as I go down through it because I'll be talking about it. All right, number one thing that we believe in, check out this text effect, I love this. Boom! 
See that? I'm going to do that again. Ready? Bam! Love that. That's called the anvil. Bam! We believe in the eternal triune God. Everything starts with God. Everything starts with God. It's the foundational truth. And He is a triune God. I don't get it. You don't get it. Don't tell me you do. Three in one. But this is the truth. Here it is, okay? He's the, he's the eternal God. He's been around for forever. But He is the triune God. Everything starts with Him. If you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and you start in verse 26, it says this. It says, Then God said, that's God, singular, let us, that's plural, make man in our, that's plural, image, after our likeness. God refers to himself plural in the plural, plural pronoun there, okay? And let them, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, and that one's singular right there, that man, um, in his singular own image. In the image of God, he, singular, created him, singular. Male and female, he created them, plural. And God blessed them, plural, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God refers to himself in the singular and in the plural. Why? Because God consists of three people, three personalities, three parts of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. We believe that they are each individual entities and we believe that they are all together one and both of those things exist together and we don't know how. And anytime we try to make complete sense of it, it doesn't fully work. There's all sorts of analogies that we use in Sunday school to try to describe it, but they never fully describe it. There's a reason for that because God is way bigger and way smarter and way deeper and way more dimensional than I can possibly comprehend at this stage of the journey and maybe for all of eternity because his mysteries are new every day. And I think all of eternity will still be trying to explore what the Trinity is even all about. So here's something that's very important about the Trinity that we need to know is that we are created in his image, which means we are created like the Trinity which is why he also refers to man in the singular and in the plural. And he created a body in his image and he breathed breath into it and up came this living being. He created him in his image. But then he said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone because creation is an autobiography of God. And so God said in order for it to, that's only like, the singular part of me. I need to make a plural part of me. So he takes a rib and he does this other thing and he makes two and he says, ah, now I've made male and female in my image. Now it's like a picture of the triune God. There's many, but can be one. The two shall leave father and mother and become one flesh is what he says right there in this, in this passage in Genesis. Ultimately, it's the church's job to resemble Jesus, to be the body of Christ where there's many, but we're one. Okay, and we'll get to that. But that's the, that's the triune God. This is just a survey. I, I wish that we could, we're gonna, at some point, we'll do a series. Um, and when we do the series, I'll break down each one and go deeper into each one. But for now, this is just a survey. We gotta fly through it, okay? Boom! Anvil. The authoritative word. 
foundation of faith and practice for us. Everything that we believe and everything we do, we are to find our, the Bible as our guide to what we believe and to what we do. There is a danger, and that's that um, the danger with the Bible is that it gets put in front of the first thing. The first thing is the triune God. If you ever put the Bible ahead of the triune God, it's called bibliolatry. You know what that means? That we worship the Bible instead of worshiping God. That actually happens. What happens is, is when we read the Bible as if it's a sacred book that we follow. And it isn't. The book's sacred, but it's not the Bible we follow. What do we follow? Yes, it's who we follow, right? And there are many religions out there that have sacred scriptures who were written by prophets who are dead. And that's just the scriptures they have left over and they follow this book. But we follow a living God whose word is still alive and whose word became flesh and dwelt among us and then was breathed into these pages of scripture through all sorts of people. And that word is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword and is able to divide me all up and show me what's right and wrong because it still has a guide, the Holy Spirit, the presence and person of God who's helping me interpret that scripture. So the authority of the word of God, notice we're not talking about the inspiration of scripture or we're not talking about the inerrancy of scripture because those words are secondary compared to this other word, which is the authority of scripture. See, I can talk about whether it it doesn't matter. The, The main thing that I need to know is that when it comes to my life, I base my life on the teachings of this scripture because this scripture is the revealed truth of a living God who wants to relate to me and he reveals himself through this word. So this is my lifeline. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I believe that the scriptures are the living, breathing word of God. And so I hold on to them and cling on to them. And when the Bible and me disagree, guess who's right? The Bible every time. Every time. And if I say that doesn't make sense, well, sorry. (laughs) It is what it is because God's Trinity doesn't make sense to us either, but he's putting it on display by those who follow him through his word. Okay. Um, there's there's uh, so much that we could say, obviously, here. Second Timothy 3.16, you know, tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for rebuke, for uh, correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, so that any of us can be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every work that we're supposed to do. God has stuff designed for each of us. We need the Word of God to guide the way. That's why it's a lamp under our feet and a light under our path. Okay, third thing. Boom! The atoning blood, the atoning death. Um, Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. When it comes to us being set free, uh, in, in that Hebrews passage, passage that we just read, it says this. Uh, verse 22 said, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our evil conscience plagues us. And the reason our evil conscience 
plagues us is this, because since we were created in the image of God, we have an internal justice meter because God is just. And when we do something wrong and we violate God's principles, we know that we deserve wrath. That's what we know we deserve it. And so we can't escape it. And our conscience just plagues us all the time. But the whole beautiful thing about the gospel, of course, is that Jesus' sacrifice frees us from that. And our job in faith is to believe that we are free and to not live in that place of evil conscience and shame, but to to, uh, be forgiven. So God's uh, wrath is satisfied. Justice is fulfilled. Romans 5, 9 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Um, and uh, this is the seed of forgiveness. I want you to hold on to this. This is so important. The atoning sacrifice, there's a lot going on around the uh, theologically right now in the, in the world about whether or not we actually needed the blood of Jesus or not, or whether it was just kind of a display that he put on to show us he could forgive us. And um, it's an important one coming down the pike, and there's reasons. I won't get into all of it, but this is one of the reasons, is that in order for us to forgive another person and to let something go, We need power. One of the hardest things, Josh always says, I think the hardest thing, the greatest miracle in the world is to truly forgive someone. The greatest miracle in the world is what, according to Josh Bightwork, quote him on that 20 years from now when he's famous for that quote. Um, But I, I, I agree with him. And it's kind of the core of the gospel, isn't it? Forgiveness. Jesus forgiving us. And the reason that that forgiveness takes place, it's so hard to just let something go. And often if we let something go, we're letting a part of ourselves go. Like you can block something out that somebody did to you, but you kind of cut them off a little bit too. In order to fully experience the pain and then fully release it and forgive and heal and to have redemption on top of it, there needs to be a shedding of blood is what the scriptures say. There needs to be justice satisfied. And so every time someone offends us, if we're going to truly forgive them, We need to know that Jesus already paid the price for what they did in the same way that he already paid the price for what I did. And I need to understand that if the wrath of God can be satisfied by the blood of Jesus, then my wrath should be able to be satisfied by it as well. And we lean into that. Okay? Um, Forgiveness is a huge, huge need in the kingdom and in the body of Christ because we hurt each other all the time because we're sinners. And so we need to be able to forgive each other, and that's not easy. So we have... um, we, we also know that in this atoning blood, the other, the one other thing that's really important about the atoning death is there's a movement right now, uh, you know, in the relative society that we're in to say Christianity is just one path to God or whatever. Um, Acts 4.12 said, says, uh, my, my boys, when we were teaching them this verse, we, um, we came up with a song. We try to come up with songs for verses um, to help them remember them. And we have this one for this one. It cracks me up. It goes, salvation is found in nobody else. And there's no under name, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. Acts 4.12. That's how we always end it. They love that part. Acts 4.12. And, uh, uh, and, and the whole point of, of them memorizing that is that there is no other name under heaven that can save us. And that's not just about what's true and whose doctrine is right. It means you cannot be set free and transformed. You cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot experience what God has for your life. You can't be set free. Nothing's going to work unless it's under the name of Jesus. 
This isn't about, am I right and you are wrong? My God is better than yours. It's not about that. It's about, it doesn't even work unless it's the truth. And the truth, there's only one truth. There's only one way and it's Jesus. And that's all because of the atoning death. No one can be saved except through Christ dying on a cross. And no one can be set free without it as well. All right. Next one. Life-giving resurrection. There you go, Sherlock. How did we miss that on that sign? I don't know where what happened with it. So anyway, um, life-giving resurrection. These are in order um, to a degree. Uh, like it's, you know, we believe in God and then God reveals himself through the word. And then we have access to God via his word through the atoning death. We understand the atoning death because of the word. The reason we believe in the atoning death is because the word says so. And the reason we believe in the word is because we believe in God who, who made the word. But... Um, we, uh, after the atoning death, we understand Jesus didn't only die, Jesus also rose from the dead. And that is not just something that happened in history. Paul talks about that as the, it's the pillar, the foundational truth, all the thing that separates us from, uh, from any other truth is that nobody else can say that their prophet or whoever rose from the dead because no one else has that power because Jesus was God. And that's what separates him. However, that's not the, that's not the only thing about the resurrection that's the big deal. The other thing about the resurrection that's a huge deal is that we have access to the resurrection. Ultimately, we have access to the resurrection by going to heaven, but we have access to the resurrection today. That's why Paul says this. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to become like Christ all the way to death, so somehow to attain the resurrection. And what he's saying is, I want to die more and more so that I can experience the power of resurrection life more and more. And we are told that the power that is within, that raised Christ from the dead, lives within us. It says it right here, Romans 8, 10 to 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you, he who raised Christ for Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The reason we celebrate on Sundays is because we need to remember the resurrection is available right now. Right now, resurrection is available. The power of resurrection, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to us. And that's why Paul says, man, I got to know him fully so that I experience the full power of the resurrection. All right, we'll keep moving. There's more to say on all these. And I got to move. All right, I'm going to cruise. Global church. What do we mean? Ephesians 4 says this. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So how many churches are there? One. Of course, there's only one. And we know this, but do we know this? Each one of these things, we know it, but do we know it? How much does it change the way we think about our lives? How much does it change the way we think about church when we think there's actually only one church? There really, truly is only one. Think about that. Think about if there's only one family in the world, that there isn't many families, there's only one. How does that change the way we deal with each other? That I, you know, if there's only one family, how does that change the way we handle our resources and our time and our relationships? And so when we think about the global church, we understand that from, from 2,000 years ago till now, there's been one church, and we need to learn from the church in history. That there's a church around the globe and we need to be invested into it. And that, uh, 
that uh, like we're seeing this morning with Rosa over at uh, her church being prayed for and Josh over at Cornerstone investing, we believe in a church that's bigger than just the one we're sitting in right now. I'm going to keep moving. Have to. It's the purpose of the church. What's the purpose of the church? What? I know everybody's like, oh. So, the next two are biggies, okay? They're all biggies. None of them are bigger than the other necessarily. But the next two are big. They're in order, okay? I'll show you the two. They're in order. This is the great commandment. The next one is the great commission. They're in order. We're going to have one of our sermons coming up is going to talk about that. What's the great commandment? Somebody say it louder. There it is. Thank you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? And the second is like, I know it, love your neighbor's self. That's a great commandment. It's the greatest of all the commandments. So what does that mean? Out of everything we're supposed to focus on, the number one thing we're supposed to focus on is loving the Lord. That's it. Give ourselves to God. Then, when we're loving the Lord, he also gives a mission to us. And that is called the Great Commission. Go with God into the world to make disciples. And we do have that call but that is not the primary call of the church. The primary call of the church is first to love God, to glorify God. And we'll talk about that. We have a sermon coming about that. Okay. And then here we go. Spiritual transformation. Okay. Galatians 3.2. Listen to this. It says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? What is he saying? Paul said, you came, did you come to Jesus on your own? He said, no, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. And he said, now that you came to him by faith, do you think that you grow in him now by your own work? Of course not. It's still him. In other words, listen very carefully. We all can agree on this, I think. People do not change people. God changes people. Somebody said, I heard a little whisper, a mumbling from somewhere in the back that said, amen. People don't change people. God changes people. And that's a really, really important thought because how we interface with each other, if we are God dependent, I realize I can't change you. And we can, beha- we can, change, we can modify our behaviors and read self-help books and figure out how to do disciplines and we can work on the spiritual disciplines we're supposed to. But what we're really trying to do is to access God and depend on God because the only one who can change the core of us from the inside out, the only one who can actually write on our hearts and rewrite the spiritual genetic code of our lives is God. I need to be born again, which means I need to be reinvented, which means God has to birth me all over again. And only God can do that. We don't believe in a power of humans. We believe in a power of God. It was displayed in the resurrection, but it's displayed every time a heart turns to him and he transforms their heart. That's the power of the resurrection being put on display in a person's life. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. And it's an awesome thing to see God change our hearts. And I, I tried long before I came to Christ. I tried really hard to change my heart and it didn't work. It was evil, desperately wicked. God changes it. He changes our hearts. And so since he changes our hearts, it leads us to this last one, okay? Which is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. 
Because God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and truth. If we want to communicate with God, we have to communicate with him in spirit. If the whole point of him rip, you know, dying on the cross and all this is for us to have a relationship with him and to know him and to love him, then we have to talk with him. And the only way to really talk with him is through prayer. That's spiritual communication. And, you know, there's this verse, Colossians 4.2. And if you hear anything, this might be the one that I want you to hear. I don't know. There's, all this is important. But there's one thing that I want you to hold on to right now. It's this. In Colossians 4.2, there's this word. It says, devote yourself. And that word, you've heard me say this if you've been around for a few years, that word devote is only used as, as a command twice in the New Testament. It's only used as a, a command twice in the whole New Testament, in the whole Bible. The first is to Timothy. Well, yeah, one of them is to Timothy. And um, he's a young pastor and says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the study and to the public reading. So he's like, if you're a pastor, give yourself to the Word of God. Know the Word of God. But then he says, there's the second one. It's in Colossians 4.2. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer. So when he speaks to the whole church, devote means wholeheartedly give yourself to a singular course of action. Completely throw yourself at this one thing. If you are defined by one thing in your life, it's this. And this is the only time he uses the word devote as a command to the church. And he says, devote yourself to prayer. Give yourself. Why? Because people don't change people. God changes people. I don't change me. God changes me. The word of God can change me. God, the the triune God, reveals himself through the word and he gives me access through the death and the resurrection and he invites me in to love him and he invites me to also invite others into that relationship. But I realize the only way it all takes place is when there's spiritual transformation taking place through rubbing shoulders with God, being engaged with God. And the only way that I can actually do that is through prayer. That's the one thing I have to do where I can say, God, change my heart. God, bring them to yourself. I can, I am to called to proclaim the gospel to people so that they know the word of God. But then the power for that word to take root and change a heart is where the Holy Spirit moves in someone's life. And we are called to pray as priests like we did earlier in this service. All right. So those are our basics, okay? Our basic theological threads. We will find a way to get the life-giving resurrection going with this thing. Sorry we missed. I have no idea. I can't believe it went through all of our filters. All of us shelved. How did we do it? I don't know. Um, so uh, those are the basic theological threads. What I want you to do when you're thinking about them is think about October 5th and say, we're going to have this members, membership renewal and, uh, and new members coming on. And this is the basics of what we believe at Park Ford Church. Can I sign on to that? You know, because um, if you can agree with this, there may be m- many other things that you don't see eye to eye on. But I think we can be cool together with this and work from here because God's in charge, you know. And there may be if you don't agree with all of this, then you're going to find Parker Ford to be a little bit frustrating or confusing because we're going to pray. And you're going to be like, why are we praying again? You know, well, that's what we do, you know, and uh <laughs> That's because God does it, not us, you know. And if, if if it gets confusing around here, the first place to look is to go back to basics, you know. Like when we're struggling, it's go back to these things and look and say, am I believing that right now? And if I'm believing these things and we're still having an issue, then we can get into like, uh, you know, diagnosing weird spiritual diseases. But let's go back to the basics like a physician would and say, let's listen to your blood pressure and heartbeat. Let's look at the basics. Say, do we agree on this? Okay. Meditate on those. Um, move into October 5th. The, meditate on them your whole life. The longer and the more we meditate on these basic truths, the more it sets us free. Okay. 
Are we good? Awesome. All right, I'm going to close this in prayer. The band can come up and uh, and lead us out. After I close this in prayer, uh, the band's going to uh, sing the song. And um, when they sing, uh, feel free at that point. I'm not going to give a benediction after this prayer or after the song. So when you, you can either sing the whole song and, and leave or just leave when you're ready through the song. It's up to you. But this is our closing prayer, okay? To the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, the only wise God, immortal, invisible, be glory, honor, dominion, and strength. We give you praise, God. We give you honor, God. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Whenever we are messed up and whenever things are twisted and whenever it's not working right, we know that somehow, some way, it's because this world and, and, and this culture and our lives, we get twisted outside of the design that you have for us. And most of the time, what that usually means is we lost focus of the triune God the eternal triune God. And chances are it was because we didn't see something. We're not leaning into something that's in the scripture. And we're not trusting in your atoning blood. And we're not believing in your life-giving resurrection. And we're not focused on the great commandment of loving you. And we're not engaged in the great commission of sharing others. We got focused on other stuff. And somehow we believe that we should depend on ourselves instead of your transforming power. And we got out of a place of prayer and got into a place of just doing our own thing instead of dependence. And in the middle of that, God, we want to be a church that returns and repents and isn't too proud to say we're a mess and we don't know it all and we don't know it better than the people next to us. We don't know it better than it. These are the basic things. The biggest problem that we have, God, is that we forget and we get proud and we go on our own. God, take these truths and write them deep into our heart. Write them on the walls of our church, but write them deep into the heart of each one of us and into us as a community, God. We want you to rock this culture by revealing your glory through a people who take you at your word and trust you, not doing fancy tricks to try to get people to like church in a world where they don't usually like it. I don't care about any of that, God. What we want is to believe that the power of God that raised you from the dead 2,000 years ago will change us to the place that we are brilliant points of light in a world of darkness that is looking for guides to lead them back to the triune God. Teach us. Lead us. Change us. Make us. We did not make this up. It is making us. It is the very truth inside. We love you and thank you for being our guide. In the name of Jesus. Amen.